0: The Bible passage we're focusing on today comes out of the 11th uh, chapter of Luke's gospel, where Luke writes, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. My name is Stephen, hi. I have the privilege of serving uh, on staff here at All Souls. Uh, About 15 years ago, I got a call from a friend and asked if I would come and meet her at the hospital. She was... Uh, has experienced some trouble swallowing a couple of weeks prior to that, and she had already gone to see uh, her doctor to get some X-rays. And she just wanted someone to come alongside and uh, be with her as she got the results. It's probably nothing, but you know, could always use a friend to sit in the hospital. So I agreed to go down there. Uh, I met her at the hospital, into the general lobby, and walked with her to her appointment. Uh, prayed with her, grabbed a magazine, and then just sat down and waited. About 40 minutes later, she came out with tears staining her cheeks. And of the few words that she said that I could understand, they were numbers stage four and two months. We went out to the parking lot. We sat in my car and she wept. And I just sat there speechless, powerless. So I prayed. I sat there thinking about her 13 year old son, what was going to happen to him. I was about to spend a weekend with him on a retreat, and where was he going to go? She was an elder in our church, and she quit her corporate job to become the director of a thriving nonprofit. And just a few months earlier than that, she said goodbye to her mother who herself had died from cancer. And now she was being told that within a few weeks she was going to have to repeat that process, only this time she was going to have to say goodbye to her son. So all I could do was lean onto my steering wheel, let tears fall onto my dashboard, and I could take all of the, the desperation that was in me and all the hope that I could muster, and I talked to God about it, I prayed. And that response is not uncommon. Prayer is the language of the soul. People have been praying for a long, long time. There are cave drawings in southern France which date back 38,000 years and they appear to art historians to be, among other things, written prayers. Prayers. Archaeologists in Turkey have unearthed Gobleki Tepe, which they believe to be a place of prayer which dates back over 9,000 years, which is 7,000 years earlier than the Burren in Ireland, a site of prayer that itself dates about 1,000 years before Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. To be human is to pray. Already today, Catholics around the world have been in communion with the saints as they have meditatively moved their fingers around rosary beads, making intercessions and petitions to God. The Orthodox in uh, parts of Eastern Europe have already said the Trisagion and burned incense, no doubt praying for their brothers and sisters in Ukraine who woke up earlier this week to a nation engulfed in war. The Muslim faithful all around the world Have either responded to prayers streaming out from minarets, calling them to prayer, or they have rolled out their prayer mats toward Mecca, bowed their heads in prayer. The Orthodox in Jerusalem have rolled up their prayers into a cylinder and stuck them in the Western wall as a kind of prayer to God. Hindus around the world have repeated Ved mantras as an expression of their bhakti, and of course, Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of now sober people have offered their prayer, calling on a higher power outside of themselves to aid them in recovery, and that was just today before any of us had our coffee and came here and the fact that you are here means you're somewhat of a statistical anomaly. Pew data tells us that church attendance in America is down across every measurable category. This is in line with a general pattern in the West that has established well before COVID hit. And yet prayer remains part of the warp and the woof of our humanity. The economist Jeanette Benson from the University of Copenhagen, writing from a nation where 62% of the population reports never praying at all, found that during the early months of the pandemic, Google searches for prayer rose 30%, the highest increase ever recorded. By April of 2020, she conservatively estimates that more than half of the world population had prayed to end the COVID pandemic. And throughout the rest of the year, prayer searches kept on rising throughout other continents, uh, everywhere in the world, across all levels of income, all levels of inequality, all levels of insecurity for all types of religion. Her conclusion In crisis, we pray. Research on American religiosity tells us the more people will pray this week than will go to work, drive a car, have sex, or exercise. And 38% of people who report having no religious affiliation whatsoever, including the 7% who are convinced atheists, will nonetheless offer their prayers to a God who they don't believe is there to hear their prayers. As the pastor and writer Tyler Staten puts it, any way you measure, prayer is bigger than the church and it's not even close. People who don't want your preaching will take your prayer. People who don't care anything for your God will risk a word or two in prayer. In the confusing space between faith and doubt, prayer is the language that still speaks. Driven careerists and indigenous tribes people alike, goths in Stockholm, the devout in Salt Lake City, professional athletes and starving artists, to be human is to pray. It's always been like this. And there is no end on the horizon. So there I was, sitting in the car with Susan, praying with all the faith that I have. And at one point, I looked over to her and said, what are you going to do? And I meant that in terms of whether she was going to pursue treatment or not. What was going to happen to Colin, her son? Uh, Dad was in the picture, but he was more in a position to be receiving care from a 13-year-old than he was to give it. Those aren't the questions that she wanted to answer. She said, the way I see it, I've got two options. I can either live the rest of my days facing despair, or I can choose hope. I'm going to choose hope. And so we prayed that healing would come into her body, that the kingdom of God would be made near. And friends, she didn't live another six weeks, but she defied the odds and lived another 18 months doing exactly what she said she was going to do, living every single day as a witness to hope. I would often go with her when she received her treatments and she would not let the nurses who were attending on her leave her presence without asking them how she could be in prayer for them. I saw a spiritually sleepy church come alive through praying and seeing God's kingdom come in the midst when an older couple from the church whose kids had long since launched and been out of the house invited her son in so that he would not have to move away and live with family in Connecticut. Now, God did not take cancer from her body, but for sure God brought his kingdom near. From the moment I sat in my car to the days that she drew her last breath, she lived her life as a prayer, changing everyone around her, including me, the pastor who could only ask, what are you going to do? Instead of asking God, what are you going to do and how can I be a part of that? And I know that even as I share that story, many of you are thinking, yeah, but what really happened between the time you prayed and the time she died? What happened in the middle of the story? And you're distracted, maybe thinking about your own stories of prayer. And maybe you've got some amazing stories of where God has shown up in ways that you can't explain. Maybe, you know, you were part of a marriage that somehow was held together through the power of prayer. Or or you've got children who are battling addiction and appear to be lost, but now they are thriving. You've got an, an illness that threatened to upend your life, but somehow it became an unexpected means of grace. And those stories They are real. God does sometimes show up in the wilderness of our deepest longings, of our fearful desperation, not because of something we do or something we did not do, but because of the mystery of who God is. But then there are others of us who have prayed with all the hope and faith that is within us. And we're still waiting for healing. We're still waiting for the kingdom to come kicking down the door and marching into our lives. We live our lives suspended in that place between faith and doubt where the mystery seems just as likely to disappoint us as it does to bear grace. That's the place where all of our questions hang, right there in the middle of the story. It's what the Cambridge physicist turned Anglican priest John Polkinghorne calls the cloudy space between our action and God's action. Our prayers live cloaked in mystery. Even one whose life was as steeped in prayer as any had this to say, we do not know how to pray, what to offer, or how to offer it as we should. And friends, that wasn't some random priest burned out on disillusionment and disappointment. That was St. Paul, the first theologian of the church. And that's why prayer gives rise to some of the deepest questions and the deepest hopes of our faith, some of the deepest pains. The mystery is in the middle. What happens when we pray? Why is it that half of the world's population prayed for COVID to end back in March of 2020 and here we are, two years and almost six million deaths later? How is it that right now the world is joining with Ukrainians pleading with God to stop Russian aggression while millions in Russia are no doubt praying that God would help them out of what they have been told is the end of a raw deal to a NATO alliance that wants to end Russian ascendancy? Does victory mean that God was on that side? And if not, does that mean that David is a shoe-in to beat Goliath this time? Why is it sometimes that when I pray things seem to happen right away but other times i've prayed for years and years and nothing seems to happen at all was i somehow able to like pick the lock of divine blessing the one time but all the other times i was fumbling around with the long combination what 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 happened there I mean, if I trust that God is good and, and God is loving and God is powerful and that Jesus has come to renew all things, to end injustice, to end sickness, to end evil in the world so that the here and now looks more like the hereafter. And when I pray for those things, does that not mean that I am moving with the grain of the universe with what God wants to accomplish in the world? Well, then why can't the Senate agree that an anti-lynching law should have been in place in 1822? It's much alone. 2022? Or that state sanctioned ending of human life is tragic, no matter what stage of development that life is in. And yeah, maybe I can make an inch of room for my skeptical Western brain to concede that, yeah, there is an enemy out there who is opposed to God's ways. But even then, hasn't that enemy already been defeated by the cross and by the resurrection? And if that's the case, then what's stopping God from bringing his kingdom into the world? What happens when I pray? I mean, haven't been people praying, your kingdom come, your will be done, for a long time now? A quarter of the world's population is going to pray that on Easter Sunday alone? Then what's the holdup? Is God going to do what God's going to do, no matter whether I pray or not? And maybe beneath all of those questions are the ones that get to our deepest insecurities what actually happens when I pray? Does it really matter to God? Does it really make a difference in the world? Well, I can tell you that the center point of Jesus' life was prayer. He was always with the Father. It was the anchor practice for him. We've already seen this in Mark's gospel that Jesus would often withdraw. He would often go to be in the presence of the Father, either with his disciples or with himself. He would go to this solitary place where he could be in communion with the one that he called Father. He would pray. It was woven into his daily life, into everything that he did. And the thing about it is that he seemed to really enjoy it. I mean, there are times in the Gospels where Jesus seemed to have the choice between sleep and prayer, and he would almost always choose prayer as though his life depended on it. And in those times, he would emerge from that place of prayer, transformed, renewed, ready to go back into the world, engaged, and refocused. For Jesus, the movement in prayer was one always that took him from solitude into community, always in the presence of the Father, out for the sake of the world. That's how prayer shaped him. It was the central nervous system of how he lived and moved and had his being in the world. And so maybe it's no surprise then that Jesus' disciples ask in point blank, teach us how to pray. I mean, we read that, and we, we rush right over it. But consider this. This takes place at chapter 11 in Luke's gospel, which means that the disciples have already walked with Jesus for a while now. They've seen him give sight to the blind. They've seen him give food to the masses. They've seen him you know, give uh, restoration to the demonized. They've seen him give depth and dimension to the scriptures. They've seen him explain the heart of God to humanity. But they don't ask Jesus how to do any of those things. They ask him instead, teach us how to pray. Teach us how to be connected to the Father the way that you are connected to the Father because everything that Jesus does seems to flow out of this life of prayer. What difference did it make to Jesus? Jesus. Friends, it made all the difference in the world. And so it makes all the difference in the world to us. Over the next six weeks leading up to Easter, we are going to dive into this most central practice from the way of Jesus, the mystery of prayer and how it shapes us for life in the kingdom. And the title of this series and the community guide, that there are some more printed copies that are gonna be out there at the end. All that is taken straight from the lips of the disciples in this passage. Jesus, teach us how to pray. And so I want to invite you into a posture over the next six weeks of allowing the Spirit to do just that, to be your teacher, to teach you how to pray in community through the practices. Because friends, prayer is way more practice than it is theory. And so as we kind of launch into this next seven weeks or so, Maybe the most basic, straightforward encouragement that I can give you is a phrase that borrowed from the the Jesuit priest, John Chapman. Pray as you can, not as you can't. Maybe after seven weeks that will make a little bit more sense. But for right now, one would suggest that in teaching his disciples how to pray, Jesus is way less interested in giving his disciples a template to follow or giving them a certain technique as much as he is opening their world to a much wider reality. I mean, Jesus lived in a world that was full of injustice, full of hunger and malice and evil. And in his prayer, he taught them to ask God for justice, for bread, for forgiveness and deliverance. He is inviting them into a relationship with the Father in which God is intimate, holy, and involved. A word on each, real quickly. First, God is intimate. Throughout the New Testament, Jesus calls God Father and he encourages his followers to do the same. And all of that means that Jesus is not playing some kind of prayer roulette, sending, you know, positive energy out into the universe, prayers addressed to whom it may concern. No, he is talking to God with the intimacy of a child talking to a father. Jesus' prayers showed us who he really believed God to be: Abba. And if you're new to the New Testament, This is not a call out to the Swedish pop band. This is a child's word to a parent. Appa. Your prayers will do the same thing. Who is it that you're praying to? if your image of god is that of a strict bookkeeper who needs you to wipe out all of the red in your ledger before you can even think about coming to bother him then you're always going to live like like you're being graded like you're being watched like you're being evaluated and if that's true then you're going to start to think the most true thing about you is what you can do to perform About how many good deeds you've got in one column and are they enough to offset the bad deeds you have in the other column so that you can get into the good place when you die? In the same way, if your image of God is that of maybe a a laid-back, barefooted dude who is just there to kind of hang out, be your bro, maybe give you some some good talk in the morning, always wants to make you breakfast and give you a cup of weak diner coffee and just shoot the breeze with you. Well, then you might not think that your actions are going to amount to very much, which is great when it comes to making mistakes, but what about when it comes to cultivating virtue? If you want to know who you think God is, listen to your prayers. Writer Nancy Myers shoots it straight. Who one believes God to be is most accurately revealed, not in any credo, but in the way one speaks to God when no one else is listening. Who is it that you think you're talking to? Because whoever that is will either make or break your life of prayer. And if that is your biggest obstacle, and a timid prayer is all that you can muster, then pray that God will reveal Himself to you. Pray as you can. Second, God is holy. Medieval theologian Anselm observed that human beings, we're we're just kind of wired to worship. We're made to seek out that which is good, that which is beautiful, that which is true. We long for something that is transcendent. We long for something that is set apart greater than ourselves. And so there must exist something in reality that is greater than the greatest thing that anything our minds can conceive of. And if so, then that is the only sensible thing to draw our worship toward. And Jesus is teaching us that the posture of our hearts is really a cry for us to allow God to be God, to experience God for who God really is as opposed to all of the ways that we might want or dream or imagine God to be. Because when God is who God is and we experience God as he is, we experience the depth and the warmth and the joy of the kingdom coming into our lives. And so our prayer is not simply an exercise in mindfulness. We pray so that we can draw near to and access the source that brings about all truth and beauty and life into the world. When we say with Jesus, hallowed be thy name, we are setting God apart as the only source of life that we depend on. And so if you struggle to pray about Anything. Think about what is good, and beautiful, and true, and give thanks. Start there. Pray as you can. And last, God is involved. When Jesus asked for the kingdom to come, He's showing us that our prayer makes a difference in the world. Jesus assumes that we live in a world where God's will is not always done, where the kingdom coming it stands in opposition to all of the hellish things that go on in earth and so when we pray for the kingdom to come it looks like daily bread it looks like forgiveness of guilt the removal of shame the deliverance from evil and oppression and prayer is the primary way that we participate in the spirit bringing heaven to earth when we pray we are changed The rabbi Jonathan Sachs once compared the effect of prayer to that of a tidal wave going over the rock on the shore. And at first glance, it looks like nothing much is happening to that rock. But over time, it begins to reshape it and reform it. Over time, the rock is transformed. It looks entirely different. That is what prayer does to us. It takes time. But God moves in a time that is different than our own. So often we act as if the kingdom will come about by our hard work, but the main way it comes is through prayer because prayer changes us. And so for Jesus, prayers affect reality. Our prayers usher heaven into earth by first getting heaven into us usually it is, I think, that when we start out in prayer, we start at the place of desperation. We start with the things that are most acute, the the need that is there, loud and present in our lives. And if that's true, start there. Pray as you can. But it might strike you at some point as you're praying that there is a larger world out there than what's going on with yourself. And so we move from the mess that we are in to the mess that the world is in. We start praying for ourselves and then we ask God, maybe you could sort out Russia and the Middle East as well. Maybe you can house the houseless, maybe you can feed the hungry. And then it dawns on us as we're praying that there's not just a larger world out there, but there is a larger God out there than we could possibly ever imagine. And he's not just some sort of short order cook waiting for us to place our order. He is the source of goodness, of beauty, of truth. He is the best thing that we can think of, even better than that. N.T. Wright describes this process of realizing and the shifting that goes on as we give ourselves over to the practice of prayer like this. It starts out with, He is God, and He is the living God, and He is our Father. And if we linger there, we may find our priorities quietly turned inside out. The contents of our prayer may remain, but the order will change. And with that change, we move at last from paranoia to prayer, from fuss to faith. And so in teaching his disciples to pray, Jesus is opening up a whole new world. It's no less mysterious. It may not answer all of the questions you have about prayer, but it changes the priority of your prayer. Jesus doesn't pretend that that heartbreak and pain and hunger are not real. He, He doesn't squash your needs by having you focus just on how big God is. He starts his prayer by calling God Father by acknowledging that God is holy and by counting on the fact that God is involved in your life. And if you can hold those three things together, then you can pray. And if you're not sure that you have the faith to do that, then pray for faith. Pray as you can. In one of his letters, C.S. Lewis wrote, we must lay before him what is in us, not what ought to be in us. In other words, pray as you can, not as you can't. So often I think that the biggest obstacle to our prayer is that we, we think so much about our actions in prayer, you know, whether, we're, whether we're doing it right, uh, whether we're doing it enough, whether God can see past all of our motivations. Spoiler alert, God can see past all of our motivations. And we fret about the external so much that we forget about the one to whom we are praying. We think so much about the act of praying that we forget the one that we're praying to.
1: Well, there's a
0: short story by Leo Tolstoy in which these three Russian monks live out on a deserted island, it's an island that nobody goes to. And so their bishop one day decides to go and pay them a pastoral visit. And as he goes, he finds out that these monks, not only are they illiterate, they don't know the Lord's Prayer And so he teaches them the Lord's Prayer. He spends all of his time, all of his energy, all of his action while he's on the island with these monks, teaching them how to say, how to recite, how to memorize the Lord's Prayer. And then he leaves the island, gets back on the boat, satisfied with his pastoral work that he's done. Good pastor day, he would say. And then, somewhere as he's out there in the middle of the ocean, miles and miles and miles away from the shore, he sees these three figures in the distance walking on the water. Only they're not walking, they are running. And they come up to the boat and they say, Bishop, Bishop, please, we have forgotten the prayer that you taught us. Teach us how to pray. And he looks at them astonished and he says, Well, what have you been doing? How have you been praying? And they say, well, we just say to God, we are three. And you also are three in one. And so have mercy on us sinners. That is how we pray. And he goes back astonished and says, that's all you need. Go and be at peace. In the end, it doesn't matter so much if you only ever pray out of a book of common prayer if the way that you pray is spontaneous and eloquent and, 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 and words just come out that make the angels sing, if you only ever have 10 hours today or if you only ever have 10 minutes a day, if you only ever pray inside a church or if you only ever pray outside of it, if your motives are pure or if they are a jumbled mass of contradictions, if prayer is the place where your life and your God meet, then you are praying as you should. We learn to pray by praying. So pray as you can, not as you can't. Jesus teaches his disciples to trust that God is their father, that he is near, that in spite of his holiness, he desires to hear from his children. And that may not answer all of your questions about prayer, but what if we begin to pray as we are able And then maybe as we are able to pray, we will gain new abilities. We will experience that that God does not just want to bring earth to heaven. But God wants to transform us, to bring heaven into us. So that what happens here begins to look like heaven. That his rule and his reign have the power to shape our reality. And that in our prayers we begin to abandon our agenda and take on his. That it becomes the beating heart out of which everything we do flows. So that we begin to live life like Jesus did for the sake of the world. That when we pray, we look like Him. What would happen if when we pray, we ask for God to be God and we trust that that is enough? And so friends, as we begin this series and as I end this message, I want to invite you to pray as the Lord taught us. Only we're going to do it a little bit different in that I'm going to stop. I'm going to pause. And you're not going to say it with me, but instead you're going to pray silently and use each of these petitions to pray as you can to carry what is within you to God. Pray what is in you, not what isn't. So make yourself comfortable. Make yourselves comfortable. Take a deep breath. And as you breathe, begin to invite the Holy Spirit to teach you how to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thank God for who he is and for God's presence. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Pray for God's rule and reign to become a tangible reality in the world. Give us this day our daily bread. Ask for God's provision for your life. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And this time ask God to forgive those who have sinned against you. Lead us not into temptation. Ask God to guide you in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. but deliver us from evil. Pray for God's protection against the spiritual forces of sin and bondage. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And now as we come to the table, rest in the assurance of God's presence and God's peace.